Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. This is Brad Furlan, your host of Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Nice morning today. Not any rain, which has been the theme of the summer for sure. I got up uh, early as I do on Mondays uh, to get my sheep out to pasture and it was about six o'clock. Sometimes it can be seven, eight. They never know. And uh, they're like, wait, wait, what, what are we doing running down the road here at six in the morning? Uh, they get out to pasture there and uh, we do rotational grazing. So they have uh, fresh grass and they love it. And, uh, uh, and I love it too because it's my, uh, aerobic workout each day, getting them hay. My neighbor this, uh, weekend brought a tractor over. We undid the paddock fence and he, rather than me using a pitchfork and a wheelbarrow, he, uh, un- he shoveled out an awful lot of stuff that you don't really want to shovel out <laughs> on a, on a, on a normal day. And, uh, it's, it really helped a lot. Got a great show today. I'm really excited. Uh, we're going to be starting with Major General Gregory Knight from the Vermont National Guard. Uh, he's along with Captain Michael Arkovich. We're going to be talking about a, a lot of things going on with the Guard, and uh, there's an open house and a soldier showcase coming up, uh, recruitment, and uh, a lot of stuff. So uh, that will be our first hour. And then uh, in the second hour at 10 o'clock, Austin DeLone is calling in from California. He is a musician who's been to Vermont. He's going to be playing at the Zen Barn on uh, September 1st. And uh, Austin generously is also getting up. I don't think he's herding sheep in California, but he's getting up pretty early to, to call here with the three-hour difference. And uh, he's got some connections to some local musicians here and uh, it'll be great talking with him. So I want to uh, welcome my first guest, Major General Gregory Knight and Captain Michael Arkovich. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate Thanks you having, having us on. on. Yeah, it's great having you uh, here. Uh, General, We, um, I'm, I love sort of discussing uh, people's journeys in life and how they get from one place to another. And, you know, we find that um, – in my mind, every journey is perfect, <laughs> bumps and all. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and 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 the early years and and how you how you got here? Yeah, it was. Um, I talked to a lot of folks about uh, my journey, especially young soldiers and airmen. Uh, to be perfectly honest, if I can do it, so can they um, to get to to this level uh, of uh, leadership. But I go back to my high school experience, and I was not a good student. Um, we didn't discuss ADHD then. We didn't have IEPs. You were just either going to college or you're going to go into the workforce. So I was a workforce guy. Um, I did learn a good work ethic. I worked at a butcher shop for five years uh, from my junior year in high school um, until after I graduated, actually, and it was uh, age 21. Um, I had an opportunity, and I went down and uh, at the time talked to a Coast Guard recruiter and few months later, off I went uh, in the Coast Guard. So I did uh, six years of active duty, met amazing people, 
And uh, for me, joining the military was – you ever bought a, a pair of like new hiking boots or running shoes? And you're like, oh, my goodness, why didn't I do this before? These are awesome. It was like that. Uh, it just fit me. Um, and then um, joining, having joined the military as an E1, meaning you can't go any lower, and you fast forward to now, uh, there were people in there that had remarkable influence uh, on my military career. Um, and, there, and what you'll find, maybe it's not unique to the military, but it certainly is for me, you'll find folks that will push you to do more. They'll ask you to do a job that maybe you don't want to do, but it provides you additional experience, and you're getting kind of a, a broadened horizon of, hey, all these opportunities are out there. Some of these jobs are hard, um, but you do them, and if you do them well, um, good things happen. You know, show up with a work ethic. Um, and one of those folks for me was um, the late Brigadier General Mike Heston. Um, we were in law enforcement together, and he I was at age 34. He persuaded me to go to uh, Army Officer Candidate School. I was in the Air Guard at the time as an enlisted member. Um, I was a junior non-commissioned officer. And I said, I'm old. I'm 34 years old. Why would I do that? <laughs> and he said, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. He always told me, you'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so I I went to OCS, and then uh, everything just kind of lined up. I did uh, 11 years in Vermont law enforcement while being a traditional member of the Guard, both Air and Army. I just love going to drill weekends. Um, I loved law enforcement, uh, but military had a special, always has had a, a, a special draw for me. Um, but once I got back from officer candidate school, uh, that was one of those capstone moments in your in your career. Uh, the course I went through was called Fast Track or Accelerated OCS. So it was nine weeks, uh, seven weeks at Fort Carson and two weeks at Fort Lewis, Washington. And it was, uh, you're up at 445 every day. And you got, you ate what they put in front of you, which sometimes wasn't much. Um, but in the end, you know, I graduated, I got commissioned. I'd lost 22 pounds. I should probably go back. <laughs> Actually, nothing to think about it. Um, but just an incredible experience. But it was, um, Officers and senior NCOs like General Heston, who would push me to do more. Yeah. You know, I need you to apply for War College. I'd already enrolled <coughs> for my, my Master's of Education, and, and Mike was from Rhode Island, and he had this Rhode Island accent, and he'd say, you're not hearing me. You need to apply for War College. So I did, um, and ended up um, going to, to having one Master's to now having two. And as I mentioned before the show, no college debt because of the opportunities that come with being in the military. Quite remarkable. Now, when in the when you did the uh, first Coast Guard thing, was that in Burlington? Nope. I was uh, stationed in Alexandria uh, in the Honor Guard. I think okay. it was actually Reagan's second inauguration, so they were <laughs> plussing up um, for the inaugural parade. I was on the drill team, all great fun, um, kind of showcasing the Coast Guard. I then came up here to pursue the career in law enforcement, but I stayed in the Guard, uh, cut my foot in the door as a drilling member of the organization. So the law enforcement was your original Vermont connection? Correct. Yeah. So I had um, uh, Chief John Murad on last week, and uh, John has two Harvard degrees, and I, I said to John, were you the, the – the kid who was in the front seat waving your hand every time for every question. Cause I'm, the, I was the kid who sat in the back and looked out the window and said, Oh, look, there's a cardinal. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know if you and I had yep. some kinship yep. on that. <laughs> yes. And, and that, yes. So, and that's the thing. It's, it's like, it's a function of maturity 
And, you know, when you're going to college and the military is paying for it, you have to have some skin in the game. So if you're using, for instance, federal tuition assistance, you have to get a B. Okay. If you get a C, you're paying it back. So you can better pay attention in class. It's a nice thing when the universe provides so general, right? You, you got some guidance from, from mentors who, uh, saw ability in you. Um, you might have stayed a butcher for your whole career, which is absolutely a great career. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're a general now and, uh, it's not a, it's not a bad gig. Nope. <laughs> it depends on what day you ask me, but mostly it's pretty good. <laughs> it's Monday here. Uh, we're talking with, uh, Major General Gregory Knight and, uh, we will be adding Captain Michael Arkovich into the, uh, conversation. There's, um, some events coming up that are pretty exciting. Um, so the, um, you're here, uh, you, you've got the army guard and the air guard that, that you're in charge of, a lot of responsibility. Uh, what are, what are s- s- sort of the bigger challenges for you that, uh, that you face each day? Right now, and I think this is across all services, that's all components, all branches, it's, it's recruiting. Um, it's a challenge here. We have a very small demographic, and I think we have to get better at telling the guard story. Uh, and we're doing that. This is an example, uh, being on the radio and talking about the guard. Um, it goes back, i just gotten this job. I've been in the job about six months, and it occurred to me that I didn't have a, a a mechanism into the legislature other than my committees of jurisdiction on the House and Senate. We would talk to them when we, when we needed to, when we were mandated by law to come provide a briefing. But I thought it would make sense if these are the folks that elect the adjutant general, well, why don't we have a caucus? We have a caucus for just about everything, a legislative interest group. So uh, four years ago, um, some of my legislative colleagues established a Vermont National Guard and Veterans Caucus, and it's just been – uh, remarkably beneficial for us, um, and from those conversations, we can derive legislation, but it certainly is the beginning of a conversation um, to provide opportunities and put things into law that benefit the National Guard and provide opportunities for Vermonters. So they're just very supportive of us, uh, but it's been a great, great opportunity. Yeah, great communication. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking with Major General Gregory Knight of the Vermont National Guard. Uh, they have some exciting events coming up. Uh, when we come back from break, we'll talk a little bit. Vermont's unique with how you got appointed, uh, to other states and how that works, but it sounds like you, you've built up great communication with legislatures and they're very important in all of our, um, places in life. We're talking this morning with Major General Gregory Knight uh, with the Vermont National Guard and Captain Michael Arkovich. The uh, I've had guests on where with the uh, adult education and there they get to do mentoring and and oftentimes it's education is one part, but it's really there's some soul filling stuff that goes on. Uh, and they they talk about there's this phrase the lost boys and Vermont's facing that a lot of women are headed to college and a lot of these younger um, high school kids are not finding their way and and you've got something here that um, for men and women that 
can do what did for you, right? And, and probably for my brother and many people I know, the, the, the military provides a family and, and a career. Mm-hmm. It has. And, I, and, you know, I think unfortunately, uh, I'm not sure what's driving it. Uh, part of it, we'll own a little bit of it. I come back to messaging and making sure that the people understand all the opportunities and benefits that come with service in the Guard. A lot of folks don't even know that for the majority of our force, Air and Army, it's a part-time job. It's a dual career track, uh, and there are significant benefits that come with that. And, again, working with the legislature, for instance, if you want to go to school, fine, join the Guard, we'll pay. The difference with our program, it's now payable at the UVM in-state rate, um, and it's good for a bachelor's degree. It's good for a second bachelor's degree applies to a master's degree, but it also applies to the trades. If you go into a certificate-producing program, you can earn four of those in a year. The Guard will pay. So we're seeing some um, real successes with that with the folks who are currently serving. Uh, last year, or year before last, we uh, provided $600,000 in benefits. Uh, this year we're on track to double that to $1.2 million. So folks are going back to school. Uh, military services, not for everybody. I'm very candid about that. Uh, you have to show up with a work ethic. Uh, you got to have the desire to serve because um, you really are a part of something much larger than yourself. If you look at our response uh, recently here to, to the floods in July, our folks, were, they couldn't wait to go help. Um, and that's that's a part of being in the Guard. You have a dual mission. You have the state mission where we would respond to the governor's call for assistance. We did that for COVID. We did that during Irene. We did it again here this past July. Uh, but you also have a federal mission. Um, so as evidenced um, about 18 months ago, a uh, year ago spring, with our fighter wing um, heading overseas and flying in support of the NATO air policing mission uh, to kind of counter uh, Russian aggression. That's what we do, um, and we could do more. But, again, it comes back to recruiting is truly the long pole in the tent for us. I just got to get the word out um, and let people come see us, which is why I think the, the – the open house on the 9th is going to be very important, just like we did at the Air Guard last year. We had over 6,000 people, uh, which was – I was pleasantly surprised, but unprecedented. I didn't expect that. Uh, we're doing it again at Camp Johnson. But come see us between 10 and 3. We're not a mystery. We've got to really get beyond this narrative that somehow military service <clears throat> is the last option. Um, for many people, it's not. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's the, the opportunities are there if you want to take them. So let's, uh, the, uh, we talked off air a little bit about new Americans who are getting involved, uh, and, and how that's going. Yep. So, uh, one of the initiatives, um, that we've started here, and I've shared this with all 54 states, territories in Washington, D.C., is something that we, we were doing here in Vermont, and it's reaching out to those underrepresented communities. So I'm working with Ali Jang, who's a city councilor in Burlington. He's also on the New American Advisory Council here in Vermont. Um, but we're bringing in, again, removing the mystery of guard service. There's a propensity to serve in these populations. And when you have uh, these young people coming to Vermont and joining our guard and realizing the opportunities that come with it. I've got a young man from Somalia. He's one of our combat engineers, for instance. Uh, came here at age eight. Uh, and this young man's perspective was, I couldn't believe I could have a glass of milk whenever I wanted. Uh, that's a pretty powerful statement. Um, and now he's an uh, engineering student at UVM. He's in our guard, and we're paying for his tuition. And there's any number of stories like that. We have soldiers and airmen from Ghana, uh, from Somalia, from Ethiopia, from India, from Togo, from Sierra Leone. Uh, 
it expedites the path to citizenship, and they are as deserving of an opportunity to serve as anybody. Um, and we're finding that to be true. They're, they have come here with a work ethic. It's just a different perspective, and they appreciate the opportunities that we put in front of them. It's a great opportunity. Uh, I uh, produced a show called Travels with Charlie with Charlie Papillo, who yeah. you both probably know. And we did one episode. We were filming at the Champlain Valley Exposition during COVID. And uh, your uh, presence there uh, was just remarkable. It was the most organized thing I've ever seen. People were driving in. They were getting tested. They were getting help. Uh, the Hurricane Irene, the flooding that, you know, really hurt so much of Vermont recently. You've been there. That's, it's such a big part. You're almost, you're a silent partner in a way, but you're a huge partner. And we can do more, Brad. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Um, but right now I have far too many vacancies. I've got about 700 vacancies across the Air and Army National Guard. And for me, these are opportunities uh, for Vermonters um, to take advantage of it and give back to your communities, give back to your state. We'll, we'll give you the benefits. We have significant incentives, enlistment bonuses. But again, it's not about the stuff we're going to give you. It's not about the benefits. You have to have the desire to serve yeah. and be a part of the organization. Uh, so, listeners, if you're suddenly motivated, if you uh, need a job and a challenge and a career, uh, you can go to the uh, Vermont Army National Guard website. There's a recruiting page. You can fill out a form. You can uh, you can get involved that way. And uh, there's also some events that we're going to be talking about um, fairly soon uh, that are coming up that you really can – get a feel for all of the different things that are at the Guard. Um, you talked uh, in Vermont, we talked about the fact that you get appointed by the legislature mm-hmm. and uh, you have uh, provided good communication. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So, yeah, I'd, well, Vermont is unique. It's a very Vermont thing. Yeah. One of our colloquialisms and a lot of my colleagues uh, are actually envious of that. Um, Every other adjutant general, including the commanding general of the D.C. National Guard, is appointed either by the governor or by the secretary of defense, I think, for, for D.C. You're never going to get the politics out of it. Um, if you'd asked me four and a half years ago, I'd have been all in. Please make it a, an appointment by the governor because this is – campaigning is hard, <laughs> having never done it before. Um, but looking back, um, it's actually a pretty sound way to do business because you're being interviewed – literally by 180 people, Um, and you're on the X. It's your pitch to make. Um, But what comes with that is increased communication with the legislature. Um, We have a great relationship here with our congressional delegation, with the governor, lieutenant governor. Um, These are all centers of influence for us as a guard and certainly us as a state. But when I talk to my colleagues in other states and I say, well, I was texting with my senator, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You can text your senator? Yeah, we can't do that. And that's a very unique thing to Vermont um, when you've got the level of support, at least to communications with my three caucus co-chairs and the members of the caucus are my two chairs, Senator Hardy and, and Representative McCarthy, on my two committees of jurisdiction. Uh, I don't keep secrets. I send out information as I get it. Um, but to your question, every six months now I send out a legislative update. And I send that not only to legislators, I send that to the governor, uh, lieutenant governor, and the congressional delegation. And I also send it to our force because 
sometimes in the churn of events, we don't even look back at what we've done. To me, it serves as a reminder. It's like, hey, this is all the work you've done in the past six months, so nice job. Pay attention to it. And you'll be engaging legislators uh, this fall in some capacity? Yep, that's the plan, uh, Brad. I've got on October 17th, we're going to host a uh, legislative social at the Milano Ballroom at Norwich University. Because I want to, I've never in my four and a half years in this job overtly asked the legislature to help me with recruiting. Uh, but they are centers of influence and they all have reach into their respected communities. It could be front porch forum, social media, newsletters that they all send out, uh, certainly emails. Uh, but I want to let them know that we do need their help. We can't, the guard cannot do this by, its, by ourselves. We can't. Um, I will continue to, to work diligently to turn the corner on recruiting and provide opportunities uh, to Vermonters who wish to serve. But if we don't, and there's three major talking points here, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Here's what the guard does. Here's what the guard is and what the guard does. And here's what we've done for you in the past, call it 10 years, all the activities that we do, the deployments, the, the domestic response, um, all of those things. But the second talking point is, and oh, by the way, here's what comes with service in the guard. Just quick bullet points about here's the benefits and opportunities that come with service in a part-time status. But for me, the primary takeaway is if we don't grow our guard, we will at some point lose what we call force structure. We will lose capability and capacity, equipment um, that supports both federal and domestic missions. We will lose military construction dollars. Um, I've got a vision um, to grow, to build four super armories in the four corners of the state. And we could house multiple units there. It gets them uh, in a place where they're better, better able to respond to domestic emergencies rather than <clears throat> multiple armories across the state. But I can't build those armories if I can't fill them with soldiers. It's a non-starter. And then you uh, count into that. I mean, last year, Air and Army brought in about $152 million in federal payroll and benefits. We will lose a big chunk of that. Um, so it's not doom and gloom. I'm not trying to catastrophize things here, but we really have to turn the corner on recruiting. Um, to keep this guard viable. It seems to be a uh, social issue across the board. Restaurants closed on, you know, several nights a week. Uh, people can't find labor. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to comprehend because maybe like you, I had a paper route and every job I could possibly find and, uh, you know, waited tables, bartended, did anything to, you know, try to pay the bills. Um, so it looks like there's opportunity, um, legislators, if you're out there, uh, you get to do a service to your, uh, to your, uh, area and region, helping, um, helping your constituents find something that might match. It's not for everybody, like the general said, uh, but it, I'm surprised I didn't have a military career because I emulated, uh, Daniel Boone as a kid and, <laughs> was all through the Colchester woods with a long stick and uh, that I thought was a musket. And uh, I had quite a military career in my own mind. <laughs> We're talking this morning with uh, Major General Gregory Knight and uh, Captain Michael Arkovich uh, about the Vermont National Guard. General, one of the, the challenges that is not just uh, in, in the military, it's really rampant in society in general. Sexual harassment has been an issue that gets talked about. 
you've you've been on the forefront, and I understand that you just actually uh, were uh, presented with an award about your proactive uh, stance on that. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so the award was the um, what was it called? The Individual Excellence and in Diversity Award. So not uh, directly related to sexual harassment or sexual assault, but it was great to receive national level recognition in, in our efforts to. I don't, I don't think, I think diversity somehow has been hijacked. Um, I'm focusing on inclusion. Inclusion is an action. Diversity is a thing. You get diversity if you're inclusive. And again, I come back to, uh, recruiting those underrepresented populations and providing them opportunities that they haven't had. Um, but when it comes to the sexual harassment and sexual assault, we've done some, and my team, uh, less about me, I've just got amazing folks, uh, working on this challenge. Um, it is a human endeavor. People are going to make mistakes or make poor choices. I can't call it a mistake. It's a poor choice. Um, but we don't tolerate it, and we take action. And unfortunately, I can't talk about it in great detail. Um, but when we do talk about it, and I believe we're probably, if not the only, we're one of the only organizations that actually shares our information with the public and with the legislature. But inclusive in that is what we're doing about it. Um, I think uh, Vermont... I was the only adjutant general to speak with the DOD Interim Review Commission uh, about those more than 80 recommendations that uh, Secretary Austin um, took them up. Probably the most important one for me was establishing um, we were in the first half of the United States to receive a violence prevention workforce. So we're very good at response, but that's not good enough. What are we doing to get left of the problem? Um, and influencing those behaviors. And that's what our violence prevention workforce does. They put a lot of uh, analysis, a lot of research into our approach to make sure that we're encouraging and reinforcing those positive behaviors that we expect for anybody who's going to serve in uniform. And I think we're going to get traction with that. We've never done that before. So it's really twofold. You you are providing a positive role model base, which we talked about earlier, but I also get the sense that if somebody comes forward with a problem, they're going to get attention, which may not have been the case in the past and in many institutions. And what's important here is, is how it's reported. We will respect the wishes of a sexual assault survivor, for instance. Um, they can report it to us in, in unrestricted, meaning we would take action in conjunction with civil law enforcement. Uh, they can choose to file a restricted report where – we won't take action because they want – it's a hard thing. Let yeah. them – they've already had their control taken away once. We're not doing it again. It's entirely up to them to decide how they want to report it and what action they want taken. But that doesn't mean we're not providing them resources. So that's a way for us to respect their, confident, their confidentiality, respect their wishes. Um, if they want to do a different route later, that's fine. We'll be there for them. But at least we can turn the resources on and get them the help they need. Awesome. I want to uh, bring uh, Captain Michael Arkovich into the conversation a little bit here. Uh, welcome this morning. Thanks for having us, Brad. Yeah, it's great having you here. Um, you have two big events, September 9th and uh, September 10th. Let's start with September 9th. And uh, General Knight talked about what all would consider like phenomenal success last year when thousands of Vermonters swarmed to the base and uh, what a what a great surprise and so you're doing something similar this year uh, an open house 
Yep, that's right. So we're going to have another joint open house uh, this year. It's going to be at Camp Johnson on Saturday, September 9th from 10 to 3. Uh, it'll be very similar. We're going to have a ton of static displays, which are basically units will have vehicles and equipment representative of what they do in the military. Um, so we'll have a lot of those that are going to be out there. There'll be a helicopter display. Um, we're going to have SUSV rides. So a SUSV is a tracked vehicle that can go over a lot of different stuff. So we're going to be offering people uh, the opportunity to ride in those. Um, there's going to be some simulators. Uh, of note, there's a simulator from the Air Force, the large Air Force. It's a, uh, a simulator that uses some virtual reality. Pretty, uh, pretty awesome to have them coming with us. Uh, we're also going to have some family-friendly stuff. The whole thing is family-friendly, but uh, bounce houses, face painting, food trucks, a lot of opportunities for people to just come out on a Saturday and get to come see us. And I see the Army Band Concert is part of that. Uh- yeah, that's right. So we're going to have a um, a schedule of events that's going to include the Army Band. It'll call include the uh, the Nor the Norwich Drill Team, the Silent Drill Team, like the Rifle Spinners. And then uh, we're also going to have um, I don't know if I'm on or not. We're also going to have a uh, the Jaws of Life demonstration from the Air Guard and the uh, the. Um, they have like a Jaws of Life removal from the fire department that's at the Air Guard. Uh, so there's a whole schedule of events that will be included. It's all on our website at vermontnationalguard.com. Um, and you can also go to our events page on Facebook at VT National Guard, and it's also on Instagram. And there's plenty of uh, parking opportunity. They can go to your website, too, and figure out where the best route and parking is for this event as well. Yeah, absolutely. So last year, um, parking became a bit of a, a bit of an issue just there was so many people coming um, that we uh, were running out of spots um, and this year we've expanded the parking significantly and have, are trying to do um, more communication on it to make sure that people know that they can go to Essex High School to park and get shuttled in they can park across the street at the uh, at the hospital there's going to be a whole bunch of spots over there and then a significant amount of parking at Camp Johnson as well so a little bit of expanded parking. There's a whole parking map that's on our website and part of the uh, Facebook events page as well. General, you're excited about uh, opening up the opening up and bringing the world in. I am. This is uh, something we're going to uh, really try to sustain. And, and again, you got to remove the mystery of, of what we do and, and who we are as an organization. We have got to get back into our communities. Um, COVID did not help with that, obviously, shutting everybody in. So we're, uh, we're going to keep up uh, every effort we can to educate uh, Vermonters on, what, again, who we are and, and what we do. But come see us. It's kind of like Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. And you had that last year, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the food vendors, a number of them, to your point earlier, they, 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 their uh, help didn't show up or they had ended up with COVID or something, and we, we couldn't uh, get enough food vendors there. So I think we fixed that. And then on the 10th is another one if folks want to come out to Ethan Allen Firing Range in Jericho and actually see what it is that our soldiers and airmen do, like the hands-on work um, within their career fields. That's a great opportunity to come see us. And that's at Ethan Allen Firing Range in Colchester, September 10th. All Both of these events are free. It's in Jericho. In Jericho. Yeah, the firing range in Jericho. Okay. 
Got it. Um, I remember in Boy Scouts when we were uh, doing overnight camping, we would hear the uh, roar of the gun in in the old days, and it was quite intriguing for little kids. Yeah, but it's a it's a great complex and another one of the best kept secrets. Uh, last year, for instance, um, our folks there that work under the Garrison Support Command, one of my colonel level commands, uh, we had 150,000 people go through that firing range. Wow. And imagine the impact on the local economy when we're bringing folks from other services, uh, other branches and components, other law enforcement agencies that show up there to uh, use our facilities. It's quite amazing. We're talking with Major General Gregory Knight and Captain Michael Arkovich. They've got two uh, events coming up, an open house on September 9th and uh, a, uh, a soldier showcase uh, on September 10th, the next day, both events are free and open to the public. You know, if you've got an interest, uh, or you're, uh, you know, maybe one of the buzzwords, uh, general is transparency. I mean, it doesn't get much more transparent than this, right? You're... Yep. Come see us. And I've said it many times before. We're not Area 51. Yeah. We're open for business and we are your Vermont guard. So come visit us. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, you, there are so many guardsmen out there. You're part, they're not only just part of a military. They are, as you mentioned, they're part of the Vermont fabric during, uh, emergencies, but they're also little league coaches and they're in their schools and they're, you want to talk more about that? It's a big part of the community. Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, for probably three quarters of our folks, uh, the guard is a part-time job. And it's, you know, the classic one weekend a month, two weeks a year, which is less true because we are incredibly busy. Um, but it's a dual, it's truly a dual career track. You may have an interest in your civilian career, whatever that job is. You can do something completely different in the guard. Um, but with that, there are benefits and there are opportunities. Again, paying for college or, or going to, to trade schools or getting a certificate or your pilot's license. Um, all that applies. Um, if you're going into what we call a critical specialty, um, like the cyber field is obviously growing, um, there's probably both air and army. There are a number of incentivized specialties, uh, up sometimes up to $20,000 bonuses for enlisting. Wow. Yep. Student loan repayments, um, up to $50,000 if you have a degree and you have college debt. Go to officer candidate school. It comes with a $50,000 student loan repayment. Wow. We're speaking now with uh, Major General Gregory Knight and Captain Michael Arkovich. I went to the website, General, and I looked at um, something that I found very interesting to me. Uh, and it's sort of a mantra for guidance, and uh, uh, I'll read it. Integrity, always do what is right in and out of uniform. Excellence in all we do. Selfless service, dedication to the mission and betterment of the organization before self, to provide ready force to defend our nation and serve our communities, an organization that is fully ready, value-based, professional, and connected to our communities. Go back to the beginning of the conversation. You were um, cutting, you grinding hamburger. You were mm-hmm. uh Cutting some steaks at the first of the month, uh, <laughs> when there was a little more money available maybe, and, uh, you know, a great profession. But you found a different route and you found some, some sense of, uh, 
tell us what you found. What what are what are the big things that you've personally have gotten out of this career? For me, well, um, beside the opportunities, and, and there are just innumerable opportunities that are out there, but what I, I find and I probably look forward to the most is the collegiality uh, that comes with military service. Uh, I've met just unbelievable people, amazing people um, from across the world. I mean, even if our, I look at our state partnership program, I would encourage your listeners to go just type in your search engine, National Guard State Partnership Program. Uh, Vermont has three. Uh, we've been partnered with uh, North Macedonia for 30 years, Senegal for 15 years, and then Austria a little over a year now. And just the impact that you have and, and building those relationships, because really what it comes down to, and I'm not, this is not news for many people, it is about relationships. It is about networking and knowing who to go to when you need help and knowing that they'll pick up the phone for you or respond to your email. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I talk to other folks, and that to me is irreplaceable, uh, that level of collegiality and, and teamwork that comes with being in the military. Making it a smaller world, right? It really is. Um, and the, and what we find is we don't have as many differences as is what we thought, right? I can quote Maya Angelou. Yeah. We are more alike than we are unalike, my friends. Yeah. Uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and we have hanging from our barn a Ukraine flag. And uh, we think about Ukraine and what it says to me is, you know, there is a big world out there. And uh, it's a world that needs your profession, right? Uh, it's not you get to do the Vermont gig and helping with our local stuff, but uh, it's not always a friendly environment out there. No, and, and I, I think I think folks would be naive to think that there aren't um, entities out there that would do us great harm. Uh, they're still there. I've seen them. Um, that's another reason I, I, I think I continue doing this job is to make our soldiers and airmen ready to stand in the gap when needed. And they all know that. Um, this goes back to 9-11. For me, that was a capstone experience in anybody's life in the military. It changed everything. And it certainly put a different perspective on it. We're not just going to Fort Drum for, quote, unquote, summer camp to go train on tanks or go do infantry things. No, no, it's real. And you still have uh, currently in in the Vermont Air National Guard um Men and women who were involved in 9-11. You have pilots who were there in a matter of minutes, right? Correct. Wow. Uh, quite remarkable. I'm also moved by the, uh, uh, when you bring troops home. There is, if anybody watches YouTube, which I do late at night when I'm bored, the, the most emotional YouTube videos are the, uh, the soldier coming home and uh, seeing his family again. Can you tell us a little bit about that for you? Well, and it was great to come home personally. Um, we had a very uh, kinetic deployment. Any any deployment is challenging. Um, you know, we had folks come home from Central Command, and uh, they are located in multiple countries um, in Southwest Asia. Austere environments. Um, it's challenging, um, but to be away from home for a year. That's tough. Um, things change. Kids change. Families change. The dynamic changes. So, um, but when they come home, that welcome home ceremony—it's just amazing to watch. 
It is great. And, uh, the, the news coverage is generally pretty high on that because yeah. it's such a great event. But it does speak to, uh, the dedication of the people you're training, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing something that's greater than themselves, which we kind of read about. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it for all of us, right? Uh, it's, so you must be very proud of that part. We have an amazing organization. Um, we could be even more amazing. If we fill those vacancies, we can do more. We could take the state partnership program uh, more effectively in a different direction, for instance, instead of simply focusing on military to military, which is great. That's actually the easy part, getting outside of that and bringing in all the goodness that is Vermont, that whole of society, whole of Vermont approach to all the things that Vermont does really well, environmental conservation, agriculture. Um, We can put them in touch with business to business because – Regional stability and security, global stability and security is not just a military proposition. It is much more than that. It is food and fuel security. It's all the things that I just mentioned that allows those folks to flourish. Yeah, and and really uh, we talked about growth and character development. You're, you're giving people something that maybe they weren't going to get, and uh, that's a, you know, we need more of that, right? <laughs> You'll like no to teach the me. world to sing, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Uh, Captain Arkovich, can you remind us again about your events coming up? Yeah, sure. Uh, so on Saturday, September 9th from 10 to 3 at Camp Johnson, we're hosting an open house. Okay. It's free for the po- public. There's a lot of cool static displays that we'll have set up. We'll have uh, bouncy houses, face painting. Again, all free. Uh, we'll have food trucks available, some uh, simulators and sus V rides, which is a track vehicle. Should be pretty fun. I don't have and then on Sunday, September 10th from 10 to 3, um, we'll have a soldier showcase at the Ethan Allen Firing Range in Jericho. And that's a chance for people to check out soldiers in action on the range. Um, and they are both free and open to the public, and they should be really good events. We're looking forward to having them. It sounds great. I've got um, some callers on the line that I didn't realize I had. Uh, Mary, uh, welcome to the call. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Um, just great to hear uh, the general on the call and talking about the opportunities. And I think um, one of the things, I, I mean, we could have women also in the Guard, right? So oh, absolutely. Have, yeah, women can join the Guard and contribute to their community and their country. And the other thing is, I'm so impressed um, uh, with all of your um, education and your your leadership, and it's just wonderful to hear. My local pastor is in the guard. Outstanding. So, yeah, sometimes he'll come to church and he'll have his guard clothes on, and he's like, "Well, I'm leaving," you know, right after right after services, and uh, it's just thrilling to know that he's also contributing to our country and our soldiers. Well, thank you for the call, Mary. Uh, yeah, and that's no, thank you, Mary. And it's one of the another one of the best kept secrets right now in our guard. We have more women in senior leadership positions than in the history of our guard. So that's less about me. It's more about us providing opportunities for everybody. But thanks for the call. And we're going back to the uh, phone lines. Harper from Barry. Good morning, Harper. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. I just want to say a couple of quick things about the guard that's tremendous. 
they have to look at the retirement program that you have after serving your 20 years with a guard. You can come out of there, and when you get fully retired, older people understand the medical coverage is tremendous. And I, I thank you, gentlemen, for your leadership, and get out there and join the guard out there, guys and women. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Harper. Thank you for the call, Harper. That's great. Um, so recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. Uh, I've had guests on the show. We talk about, um, quote, lost boys. We're losing high school kids. They're dropping out of school. They're they're disappearing. And uh, if you know those boys and you know those women, uh, those the girls as well, there's some opportunities, uh, as the general said, you know, you can, you can find a path here. Uh, so general, this is, uh, we've got about 30 seconds left, uh, but I, I really appreciate you both being on the show. I appreciate it, Brad. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. And for me, it's, it's, it's about the Vermont Guard growing and remaining a viable, strong organization, but it's also workforce development for Vermont and those dual career tracks that are open for everybody who wants to take the opportunity. And there's a tremendous blossom from that. It's not just the guard. It affects all Vermonters in such a great way. Come see us. All right. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. We'll be back uh, with Austin DeLone right after this. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan, your host on Vermont Viewpoint here on WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We just had a nice chat with uh, General Knight and uh, Captain Arkovich about the uh, National Guard here in Vermont. They play a lot of roles and, uh, and important, and there's a lot of opportunity for employment. If you are looking for a career and a challenge, I think it's a good one uh, to take a look at. And they've got some open houses coming up that you can give it a more thorough uh, look. My next guest um is so kind to be waking up in California, maybe earlier than than uh, normal. Uh, Austin DeLone, musician, welcome to the show. <laughs> thanks, Brad. Thanks for thanks for waking me up. Yeah, and when I was a kid, I had a paper route. I don't know if, if they have paper routes in California, but you're you're up early enough to do one. I'm sure they must have, but I wasn't here. Yeah. So, um, Austin, uh, my very good friend, Doug Gron, um, who put on events called Cabin Fever Relievers, uh, had a lot of musicians come to Vermont and you were one of them along with, uh, Bill Kirchin. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about those days or, or your, your association (coughs) with Bill? Well, I've known Bill for whew, oh, 60 years or, or more now. Uh, actually, I first met him in the early 70s when Commander Cody came to uh, uh, the Bay Area and started playing around it, and, and mostly in, in Berkeley at the Freight and Salvage and the Mandrakes and all these fantastic places that were there in the, in the uh, pre-early 70s. Uh, and... Um, so that's when I first met him. I started working with him 
around 1980, uh, and he had uh, a band called the Moonlighters that that he originally started just when he was moonlighting from Commander Cody because C- Commander Cody got pretty hot for a while. This was a and he had a nine piece band, uh, west sort of western swingish, and um, and then he. <laughs> Then I replaced five people, I guess. Well, at any rate, it went down to a four-piece band that turned into more of a rock and roll band. And we were lucky enough to go over to England and uh, get Nick Lowe to produce a, uh, an album for us called Rush Hour, The Moonlighters, in 1980, released in 80, 81, something like that. Um, and so been playing with Bill on and Bill lived out here in Mill Valley, which is where I am. And we've been playing on and off for many, many years. Uh, Bill now lives in Austin, is known as the Titan of the Telecaster, and uh, is tra- tra- you know travels around the country, around the world. And I've done a bunch of recordings with him uh, and with Nick and uh, all these various people. Have been so he's one of my very best friends. Wow, that's amazing. So early, uh, your early years where you were a Philadelphia boy, you took piano lessons at age 12 and and became a keyboardist. Uh, who were some of the early influences for you? Oh, for me, uh, well, you know, I listened to the music that my folks liked, which was in the sort of uh, uh, jazzy 50s stuff. It's great. And then... Um, at some point around 58 or so, I discovered Ray Charles, and that's uh, still one of my absolute idols in piano playing singing, and some of his songs, too, although he's not best known as a songwriter, but he was uh, just phenomenal. So I started playing you know, what I say and copying some of Ray Charles' stuff when I was probably about 12 or 13. And, uh, and then I took piano lessons at the first time, when I was uh, started around 12, took lessons for a few years from a fantastic teacher named Miss Housen. <laughs> hmm. And uh, and she taught me a lot, and she particularly de- helped me develop my ear because she, she would I would I was into some jazz, some early George Shearing jazz and some stuff like that that was somewhat complicated. And she she would give me the sheet music, and I would take it home. But before I did, she would actually play it for me. And that's, and I would remember mostly what it sounded like more than what it looked like. And so uh, that's how I developed my uh, rock and roll ear, which is, I think, how I play. I play more, I'm a rock and roll piano player, not a highly studied uh, jazz or classicist. And uh... I can... I know the difference between a C note and a D note, amazingly. Right. It managed to get me through all this far. And did you feel like you had a musical gift? Uh, I know there's a story of somebody, they, a pianist who was playing at Carnegie Hall. They said, you're a genius. And he goes, genius? I practiced 12 hours a day for 30 years. Uh, it's, it's hard work. Uh, but, but. Obviously, people do have something in their soul and, and a little bit of a gift. Did you feel that for you? 
Well, I don't know if I felt I had a gift. I certainly knew, know I enjoyed uh, playing piano, and also I just picked up a guitar when I was about 16, not even sure where it Oh, no, it wasn't my brother's. Anyway, and uh, I liked it, playing that, too. So uh, I didn't do that much until I went to college and then dropped out, and that's when I really started uh, playing more more music, more rock and roll. And uh hiked out to California. Yeah. But, well, Greenwich Village was an early part of that too, right? The your development. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I dropped out of school, I hitchhiked out to California. I wrote a song with an old friend of mine, uh, Alan. Well, Slim Chance. So <laughs> we used to call him for a while. Uh, that was one of uh, the first. Was actually the first single that. Linda Ronstadt and the Stone Ponies put out uh, called One for One. I have to say, not a fantastic song, but not bad. <laughs> uh, but it, it didn't it didn't do very well in the charts. It kind of tanked. But the next single that she put out was called Different Drummer, which of course was a huge hit, written by Mike Nesmith from the Monkees. Wow. Um, are there some <laughs> early uh, musicians that you met that you were sort of starstruck with at, at the time, or were you all just sort of collegiate bunch of musicians hanging out? More or less collegiate bunch and, and post-collegiate mostly, because mostly I started p- performing more when I was uh, came out to California, joined up with my friend, and we did some, you know, sort of folky Folky stuff, and I did that for a while, and then I met a few other people. Jack O'Hara, uh, who was one of the members of Eggs Over Easy, and so we played together. And we went back east, found somebody else, got a connection to a, a company called Canon Films, which at that time was uh, doing uh, music. It was just starting into music, and so we got a great deal with them. Went over to England, recorded an album with. The great Chaz Chandler producing, uh, who of course was the bass player with the Animals and also produced Jimi Hendrix's first couple records. So, uh, we, we were, uh, having a great old time. At that point, we were in living in Greenwich Village and playing a fair amount in some of the, in some of the clubs, uh, right there near Bleecker and McDougal's right in the center of town. So, was uh, Woody was Allen uh, playing a clarinet in those days, <laughs> or was that well, before or after? <laughs> I think that might have been before Woody Allen started. I'm not sure when he started, but that was that was uptown. We were downtown then. Uh huh. <laughs> and and so, what was the vibe? Um, I mean, was this a music hippie era, or or what was it? Well. So we're talking uh, 69, 70, 71, uh, around there. So it was, uh, you know, Dylan was walking around in the village, uh, you know, a lot of, oh, just the, a fantastic burst of, of awesome music. John Hammond Jr., uh, all the great uh, folkies were playing at uh, Gertie's Folk. Club, uh, we were playing there. We were playing at a place called the Fiend John, just a little funky place that had a lot of people singing and playing. 
the gaslight was happening place. Uh, the, the, the whole village was just uh, completely alive, uh, as, it, as it always has been, I guess. And yeah. it was really sprinting with some great, great music, early rock and roll. Uh, not not early rock and roll, I shouldn't say, but, you know, the rock and roll that was going to uh, move on and then the British invasion, all that stuff was all. Yeah, quite amazing. So, Austin, in the in the early days, like in the village, um, I've had on um, several musicians over the last year who have really different approaches to music. David Mallett, who's a musician from Maine, was really uh, part of his music is about social change, as many musicians are with. Were you into the the just the music of the music vibe, or or were there things that you wanted to do to change the world? What was what was your gig? Uh, I would say basically we were um, uh, upstanding citizens, of course, but uh, and would would love to have changed the world, but we were more into just uh, writing and creating creating music, and so that. That pretty much took our took all our time as uh, back then as the as the eggs and and we were lucky enough to uh, as I say go to England and record with the uh, Chaz Chammer and uh, played in England for a year uh, with the great John Steele who was the uh, drummer in the Animals and still still going strong uh, <clears throat> and then it ended up coming back here to make a record with a in Tucson, Arizona, with Link Ray, uh, and uh, yeah, but also got credited with starting pub rock, which was sort of a British rock and roll movement that uh, uh, morphed into punk rock and various other things. And that, so that's where we met uh, Nick Lowe, and uh, and back then the band was Brinsley Schwartz. Recorded at the Great Olympic Studios in. Uh, in uh, London, and yeah, so we were just on a, on a we were on the uh, we were on a run, <laughs> and and probably at least anecdotally, I hear that you know being in the arts, being a musician, being an actor, um, it's not an easy path, and and probably financial insecurity at times. Did you? Just music was at the forefront of your of your soul work, and and you you were able to make it work. Did you get breaks that changed your life, or how'd that work? <laughs> well, I would say, uh, yeah, the the real break was going to Canon Music and then uh, going to England and recording with Chaz. Uh, uh, and although we actually couldn't put that album out for various reasons, but that's what got us a, a bit of a bit known as a reputation, and that let, eventually led to uh, Nick Lowe suggesting I play a, a tour with Elvis Costello. So that was a very good, of course, and um, and played a bunch with him, and also the great great Paul Carrick, fantastic uh, vocalizer. Led all kinds of things. So that was a, that was a, a great break for us. And yeah. we were just, yeah, we were just moving and grooving. We were not financially secure for a long time, but 
that it was un, that was unimportant. You know, a can of tuna can go a long way. Right, right. Uh, we've. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're out in California, but you're going to be coming to Vermont. Um, how does that happen? Um, how do you find a gig at the Zen Barn in Waterbury? <laughs> well, I don't. I, at one point in the middle of our career, I used to do a fair amount of the booking of the band, but I don't do the booking anymore. So luckily, we have somebody who's doing some booking for us. We've been playing as the Reckless Strangers playing around here for a few years, uh, recorded a couple albums. And uh, playing mostly locally or fairly closely, and have just started uh, this year to start do a little bit of traveling, uh, sort of dip our feet in in that thing. So we've done. I haven't done a lot of traveling out of out of the state, but uh, this this is one. We've done a, a couple. Well, and we're looking forward to the performance. My daughter and I have tickets, and I, and and Doug Gron and his wife will be there, and and many others to to hear you. So it's going to be fun. Want to play a little bit of your music now? And I've got um, Danny, my producer, is uh, through the glass now, and he's got uh, Grace of God in front of him. He's got Shoulda Known, and he's got Ain't Nothing Shaken. Is there one of those that we could start with that you? You want to tell us a little bit about? Well, uh, the most recent one, and David will be on soon. He can talk more about it, too. Grace of God is a song that I wrote actually a while ago, but um, with uh, having been with Chaz and at the time when Jimi Hendrix almost got back with him and unfortunately died. So Jimi was a huge well, a huge influence on us as, as well as everybody. So this this is a song with just an attempt to do something with a bit of a Hendrix kind of guitar riff that I wrote. And uh, and just about, uh, but I was, at the time I was playing in, uh, playing out here in San Francisco um, and uh, did a fair amount of playing in the city and ran into a lot of homeless people at the end of the night who'd want to get, you know, few bucks for some cigarettes or various other things um and i you know became pretty friendly with some of them i'd see him at you know with repeated performances in certain clubs so uh and the the phrase the grace of god you know there but for fortune go you or i the grace of god is like a person who's doing okay looking at somebody who's struggling and of course the other side of that coin is Unfortunately, there, I guess, apparently, for the grace of God, goes the person who is struggling. So that's what this song, Grace of God, is about. All right. Well, we're going to listen. It's a it's a fairly long song, but we're going to listen to a minute or two of it and uh, give our listeners a sense of uh, this the beautiful concept there, but for the grace of God, go I. Right. So uh, here we go.
Wow, um, there's more to the song, but uh, we talked earlier, uh, and if you're just tuning in and you go, what the heck's happening with uh, WDEV and Vermont Viewpoint? <laughs> I'm hearing some great music. Uh, it's not a normal part of our venue, a lot of music on this station. but um, So this is a song uh, by Austin DeLone and... Uh, you know, earlier, Austin, I was asking you about your connection and sort of the not political agenda, I wouldn't say, but social agenda. And, and this song speaks to that and, and really heart and togetherness. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. It does indeed. A lot of our songs with uh, Reckless and also just with uh, people that I play with. I mean, that's certainly one of the important things that we address we also addressed having a good time falling in love and uh or having a bad time falling out of love right uh, various other but but trying to do what's right and stay on the right side of things is easier said than done and so it's something that we talk about a lot and tell us a little bit more about reckless strangers this uh in in the write-up it's a collective of six friends and musicians uh are these all California uh, acquaintances now? Uh, what's what's sort of the background yeah, there? We're all we're all <coughs> we're all basically uh, based uh, in the Bay Area, various towns, uh, San Francisco, Marin County, Sonoma County, uh, and started working a while ago with uh, our friend Mick Hellman, who's uh, the drummer in the band, and also is a great. Uh, a member of the great Hellman family, very fantastic uh, family, just loaded with musical talent. Uh, and his dad is the guy who started the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's uh, quite an amazing... Um, it was started as a Strictly Bluegrass Festival and then quickly morphed into something giant, which uh, uh, Mr. Hellman, Warren Hellman, uh, ended up sponsoring it, and now it's grown into a gigantic, you know, 300,000 people over a few days, uh, festival that, and just great performers from Emmy Lou Harris and Steve Earle, Buddy Miller to every year. There's just as a surprise, uh, start. It's absolutely free in Golden Gate Park. It's an, an amazing thing because it's cost. So that's, that's where the family that mixed from. And I've worked with the, the family, so we. This is a band that sort of morphed uh, over the years with a couple a couple of changes, and it's been pretty much the same for a few years now. That's the Reckless Strangers. So we're just getting out and playing and having fun and trying to get people to hear the music. Well, it sounds amazing. Talking this morning with Austin Delone with Reckless Strangers, and I'm reminded um, Austin that. You know, your, the song that that we just played that involved um, really looking at the human side of homelessness and that grace of God and uh, that people can, can like the heron, they can uh, get off the ground uh, if they get recognition and help. Uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful song. 
And I want to let you know that uh, David, I think David Noble, has joined us um, from California as well. Welcome to the show, David. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and my apologies for getting you up at O Dark Thirty to join us here in Vermont, but it was it's very <laughs> he nice. He interviews at seven o'clock in the morning. He's like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> this is when these are times that try men's soul and test friendships, I guess. <laughs> right, and and it, 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 and caffeine consumption. Right, uh, and will you be coming to Vermont as well? Is this? The whole band will be here at uh, at uh, the Zen Barn. Yes, the whole band. All right, and and what is your role in the band, David? Um, so uh, I play guitar awesome. and I do some of the singing. Okay. Uh, and, and there's seven of you total, or uh, six. Total. Six. Six. Okay. Um, David's a great singer, songwriter himself, and also the fabulous lead guitar player so he's a new oh, uh, an awesome talent wow um this is going to be quite a quite a performance uh and what i found at zen barn is you get um since we're a tourist state there'll be a lot of out of staters there may be people from your own region who who know and there'll also be uh us little vermonters who are thrilled to have some outside uh, music come in and uh, play for us. Um, so s- songwriting for both of you, is that right, uh, Austin? That, that's that been a big yeah. part of your journey? Oh, absolutely. Huge for me and uh, big for David, too. I and, guess well, I'll let David speak for himself on that one. Yeah, uh, well, David? Yes. No, I, I, uh, um, I've been playing for about 30 years and writing for most of that as well. But, uh, but, but, um, what's great about the record strangers is that, is that it really, it, it allows me as a, a songwriter to get into the blues side of things, which, which I, you know, it, I, a lot of the bands that I played with, um, don't really, you know, focus on that. And, uh, so it, it's, it's fun for me to come and just, just dig in and get, some chunky guitar parts going and, and, and have Austin do his thing on top of that and make Helen do his thing on top of that and, and it really uh, collaborate and build something, you know, like from a, a blues, uh, 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 like, like perspective. And either of you, I'll ask what, what's the cathartic part of, of songwriting? You mentioned earlier, Austin, that, you know, good times and bad times. Do you, do you write better when, uh, you're, you're a little on empty, or what's the inspiration? <laughs> uh, not necess- for me, not necessarily, although, of course, a little on empty does force you into um, the little guitar or piano corner to try and straighten things out, at least for yourself and, and, and what's going on. Uh, yeah, no, uh, just, I get, uh, I play, I practice, uh, and just then something strikes me a musical chord or or a phrase strikes me somebody says something i go mm, that's pretty good so um yeah like that's that's what happens in uh david in, yeah david <laughs> how about you pass like, like pass the uh, the the baton um yeah i, I it's it, it, it is like the best of times or worst of times. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Like inspiration just hits random. Uh, but, but I, 
but I try to have a message, right? Like there's like there's something I want to say, I don't know how to say it, and and I keep like tinkering at it until I get something that haunts me that it won't it won't let go, and then and then like uh, the only way to to release that is to have that song be constructed so that I, I can it, it can get out of my head and get into somebody else's head. So we we've talked on this show over the last year about um, the concept of being alone and and how difficult that is. And there's a saying, "You're only as sick as your secrets." What I'm hearing from you both is you are taking something personal, but you're sharing it out, and and that certainly has a greater good for the, for the world. I'm I'm guessing. Is that how it feels? Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, if you can, well, as long as people like the song and like the music, it's great. I mean, it's great to be able to go out and play for people and lift spirits that need to be lifted and uh, or just uh, continue along with pe- people who are already good, but to connect with them in various different ways. So, yeah, it's yes, it's great. And Thank uh- God for rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> so Austin, the, uh, in my writing world, um, writing can be laborious at times, but there are certainly moments and it happens a lot for me where I call it magic. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like something takes over the, the, the writing. And, uh, does that happen in music? Do you suddenly find something just takes on? a journey of its own and you're keeping up and, and writing it down on paper. Yeah. Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, there's uh you, you can, you can struggle and work hard to get something going and that can pay off too. But so, sometimes something hits, usually the first inspiration uh, is just something that just happens to it. And if you can grab it and catch on to it, as they say, everything is, I, I didn't really write this. It was just in the air and it came, you know, came through, uh, and 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 allowed me to hear this great ideas that everything's just bubbling around, at, you know, all the time. So absolutely, magic is uh, is part of it. And David, uh, we talked a little bit with Austin about sort of early years. Were there influencers for you? We we love to know about role models and people who said, "Hey, David, you're an amazing human being." You should be writing music and playing for the world. Did did that happen? Uh, I, I it did happen in uh, in uh, high school. I had a a band director um, named Bob Schlater, and uh, Bob, if you like, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, but Bob, he was very encouraging and, and just said, "Hey, listen, you know, like, uh, I think you have the uh, disease." <laughs> And uh, and you can make a life out of this if you want to, and um, and and he was very encouraging, and we still keep in touch. I and mean, he, he like he like he just contacted me the other day because he wants some um, um, guitar parts. But but it just you know like that 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 was the first push in the music direction, and uh, and I haven't looked back. Well, it's always nice uh, that people who who see talent and uh, encourage it and make us feel good. We've got a couple songs in the queue. There's one I'm saving for the end, Austin, or towards the end, Austin and Caroline. Right. Thoughts of you, but um, should have known or uh, ain't nothing shaking. Do you, do either of you have a, a preference and want to set either of those up? 
And so if we have to choose between one or the other, uh, I would I, I'd just like to say that uh, Ain't Nothing Shaken is from a, an album I just produced that is going to be coming out uh, in early October with the Lost Planet Airmen who were, and this is five of the original Lost Planet Airmen that were part of Commander Cody and then Lost Planet Airmen. Cody, of course, is no longer with us. Uh, God rest his fantastic soul. But um, uh, so Ain't Nothing Shaken is just a remake of uh, uh, these five guys that haven't actually performed for, geez, 40 or 50 years together. And we've done a couple short tours out here with Kirchin and uh, and John Tishy and uh, Andy Stein uh, and the great uh, Buffalo Bruce Barlow. And fantastic. And luckily I was... A, Lucky enough to be part of that and recorded. That was that was really fun. So that's really a fun um, song, an old classic that they used to do many years ago, and we re redid it. That's a great one. And and David's song "Should Have Known" is also great. And if you want to talk about social uh, important things in uh, when you're songwriting and writing, that, that certainly. Uh, uh, shows that off and david could say much more about that we're gonna jump right into ain't nothing shaken and uh, we'll be back Okay, that ain't nothing shaking. It's kind of, I don't know if it's got Western, Zydeco, I'm, uh, it's all over the place, but we're, there, we're rocking here in Vermont, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what Cody did. They, they were, yeah, they were all over the place for a lot of Western swing influences, country, all there. Yeah. Yeah. An undefinable band, yeah. You'll get people out of your seats. Um, uh, David, uh, Shoulda Known is one we want to jump into. This is one that you wrote? Yes, yes, it is. And do you want to uh, cue it up a little? Sure, yeah. This, uh, so um, Shoulda Known is, is about, uh, about environmental um, disasters that have been happening both here in California and all over the planet. And uh, just how we've known about global warming since 1988 at least the, like the whole scientific uh, community agreed at that time, okay, this is a thing and we as humans are contributing to it. And even though that we know that we are contributing to it, it feels like not many people are doing much about it. And so it, 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 it's, 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 it's a call to action. Like, like we should have known. And now that we know we have to do something. All right. Well, Vermont's on your side there. I've got a feeling. Uh, let's hear a little bit of should have known. Oh, my God. 
was out of luck. Okay, uh, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we think these things should be common sense, uh, David, but they aren't always, right? Right. Yeah. It 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 it, it, it like irks me to no end. It's like you know to know better. Why, why are you not doing something? <laughs> well, you're you're going to stir them up here when you come to Vermont. Uh, that's for sure. And and we, you know we we just experienced some incredibly serious flooding in Vermont. Uh, our state right. capital was all but underwater and uh, wow. damages that will never uh, will never be repaired. So it's uh, it's really been a hardship. Wow. So thank you for that song. Um, so I want to get back to uh, you, Austin, on, on two fronts. One, we want to talk a little bit about a fundraiser that's um, obviously near and dear to your heart. Uh, something that probably our listeners aren't totally familiar with, and that's uh, Prodder Willie. Uh, it's a. Uh, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, but my wife and I started this nonprofit to help uh, build residence for people with a. Condi- it's a genetic condition, but it's apparently random, uh, pretty rare, random as in not specifically inherited. Uh, but it's a, a mess up and people with the condition basically going through all kinds of uh, moment, terrible moments and terrible things uh, are never sated when they eat. So they constant. it's like they're constantly starving. They're not actually starving, but you can give them a giant fat meal and they'll be ready to eat the next fat meal instantly. Uh some days it's worse than others, so it's, a, it's an extremely difficult condition to deal with. Very, very, very hard for parents. Um, uh, and so we started a nonprofit a while ago, now called Prader Willie Homes of California, originally named after our son Richard Delone, who was born with Prader Willie. He's now 25, and he can't can't and can't take care of himself. That's not a possibility. Uh, but anyway, so we. We've, we've done a bunch of fundraisers, and thanks very much to our good friends, Elvis Costello, Nick Lowe, Bonnie Raitt. Uh, uh, a list goes on and on that have helped us uh, raise some money to, to be able to start building, uh, creating homes for people with this condition. And is there a website uh, they can go to, if uh, our, our Vermont listeners would like to contribute, where do they go? They can go to Prodder Willie Homes of California. Uh, uh, just look that up or go to ProdderWillieHomes.org. Okay. Um, and this will, this, this will provide housing and, and really a, a, hopefully a better way of life, perhaps. I don't know. I'm saying that. Um, yeah, housing and staffing and trying, we're, obviously what we're trying to do is 
because there are places that do that, but they're sort of old school. Um, people, a lot more is known about the condition now and how to deal with it. And so this will hopefully provide them with the, the, the best life that they can get. My wife's motto is uh, we like to create a heaven on earth. Awesome. For people uh-huh. with this so those listeners, uh, Prodder Willie Holmes of California, PWHC, uh, you can find this nonprofit, uh, website and you can contribute and you can, you can bring heaven to earth for, for people who need it in so many ways. And, uh, obviously the music that both of you do, uh, is part of that journey as well. Talking with Austin Delone and David Noble, Reckless Strangers is coming to the Zen Barn. On September 1st, tickets are $10 in advance and $13 the day of the show. Uh, doors open at 7 p.m. And uh, there's great food to be had at Zen Barn. So you can have a nice dinner outside. I know that they have heaters and uh, make it. It's You know, you're coming into fall, so you're going to want to bring sweaters, Austin and David, uh, when, when, you, when you come to Vermont. It's part of your journey. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, I want to go, um, Austin, your daughter. Um, I love the whole concept of uh, how far uh, apples fall from trees. And I was so moved last night listening to a, a song that you and your daughter Caroline uh, are are in together. Can you tell us a little bit about Thoughts of You? And then we'll play a little bit of it. Well, great. Well, thoughts of you is, you know, you part part of being a good person socially is not just going out and fighting for causes, but also is it an individual account of of who you are and how you deal with uh, other people. So this is a song I wrote basically expressing my, the fact that pretty much uh, I, even though I don't see somebody for so long for various reasons or if people pass away, and various things, but my love for them just is is always there. I think of them all the time, and uh, and uh, this is something I recorded with my daughter. So I'm playing the uh, instruments and Caroline singing, uh, and she's fantastic. She she's a singer songwriter. She's in Nashville trying to bash her way through that town and um, and having a great time. She really likes it down there. And I miss her because she's too far away. Uh-huh. So if there's any mystery to our listening audience about the talent on the keyboard of Austin and the talent of Caroline singing, we're about to erase that mystery. Here's Thoughts of You. <laughs>
All right, that's the tease because we're running out of song uh, time. Just a beautiful, beautiful song, Austin. Uh, Austin and uh, David Noble, Austin DeLone, are playing at the Zen Barn on September 1st. It's uh, a concert that you don't want to miss. These guys are going to come here and uh, share a lifetime of experience. I want to thank you both for being on and for getting up at Odark 30 to join us. It, it was a real treat to have you. Thank you. 